that um, uh, I work uh, here uh, evenings and weekends, and my day job is over at Nathan Adelson Hospice, uh, where I'm the spiritual care uh, supervisor. And in doing that, um, one of my, uh, the main thing I do is I basically walk with people through emotional crisis. Um, either, uh, most of the time it's losing um, a loved one. Uh, the people who are dying are usually too medicated to be in much of an emotional crisis by the point I'm seeing them. Um, but uh, for those of you uh, who are here, how many of you have ever been in an emotional crisis of one kind or another? Okay, right? So you know what that feeling is like. It's either some kind of an anxiety attack or you're really upset about something or you've lost something. Right? Now I want you to imagine all the times that people helped you, and uh, I want you to imagine another scenario which I guarantee never helped you. Right? What if, imagine you're in that emotional crisis. Imagine somebody comes up to you and they say, just relax. Will that get you out of your emotional crisis ever? Nope. No. Will that put you into more of an emotional crisis? Right? And you, sometimes you go like, oh, geez, well, if I had only thought to relax, I guess I wouldn't be here, right? You cannot, here's the thing, you cannot coach, demand, or order somebody into a state of relaxation, right? I, I'm not much of a, I'm not much of a spa goer, but I imagine if I ever do get dragged into one, the point where they're telling you to, like, just lay down and relax, I'm going to do the exact opposite of relax because that's, you know, you never know what's going to happen to you in there. Uh, I, don't, I don't do yoga like my wife does. Um, but even, um, I'm really amazed how much relaxation is hard for me to do. Uh, maybe this is uh, something you can identify with. Um, there'll be nights where Marissa will be out of the house. I'll finally get Noah to sleep. And I have the run of the house. I don't have anything to do. And I, I, I look around and I'm overwhelmed. I've got three streaming services, I've got a house full of books, I've got video games that I haven't touched in six months, right? I've got so much to do to relax and entertain myself and I can't think of what to do, so I always end up either watching West Wing or Parks and Rec. I've seen The Office too many times too. But uh, it, you know that feeling of like, oh my gosh, I've got to relax, and then you're overwhelmed and you don't quite know how to do it. Or vacation where you're supposed to relax. Uh, I had a friend that was recently uh, took a two-week vacation to go see family, and uh, he said, "I'm going to come back and like I need to just go to work because family is just too much for me, right?" And you and you look, and he's honest, uh, but you look. Some people on their social media pages, they'll post their like perfect family vacations. Uh, by, up in the mountains or on this beautiful lakeside. And they're not telling you about the mosquitoes that bit them to shreds. They're not telling you about the car breakdown that happened on the way there. And it just seems perfect, right? Relaxation in our culture is really hard. And we want to do it like on our own terms. Uh, and uh, our culture values relaxation only in that it will make us more productive. Right? I, uh, I remember one time I was like, oh, good, finally, it's my lunch break. I can get all these emails read and responded to. Right? <laughs> oh, good, I can finally do other less important work. I'm relaxing. Uh, it's, uh, it's really 
uh, it's really quite a struggle. And I know there are a lot of companies out there. Uh, I don't know if anyone has ever been ordered to do some kind of mindfulness thing. Um, I, yeah, I, and Nathan Adelson, they're trying to start incorporating that, and I really have kind of swallowed my own feelings on that because I'd much rather be working. But uh, And the idea behind all this mindfulness, all this relaxation, is that it does what? We want to do this just because we want our employees to take a break? No. They do it because it's supposed to make people more productive, right? Our relaxation and our rest always seems to serve our production. Our rest is always a task. And by the way, if you are uh, a, a person who is struggling because you're not sure where your next meal is coming from or you're not sure where your next safe place to sleep is going to be, you probably uh, are struggling even to find uh, real rest in this society. It can be a struggle to find rest. And even when we do find rest sometimes, we make that serve a greater end. So when God comes around and makes this command, uh, anyone ever heard that word Sabbath before? Right? Uh, he makes this command that we need to take a day and just chill out. Um, that can be really hard, right? If God tells you to relax, would you necessarily uh, relax? I don't know. But here's the thing. If we think that Sabbath is something that we do by just sitting around and not buying alcohol or not dancing, right? If we think that that's what Sabbath is, we are getting the point all wrong. The Sabbath is not a task. The Sabbath is a gift. The Sabbath is God's will for you. God created you. Sure, he gave you work to do. But God created you to rest, to be still, to be at peace. Have you ever prayed uh, this prayer, this psalm? You know how it goes. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He leads me beside still waters. And that word for still in Hebrew is the word for rest. Right? So there's that commandment right there in, in, the, in, the, in Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. I'm not going to want anything. I'm not going to work like crazy trying to get something. And what God is going to do the very first thing is lead me beside waters that are resting so that I can find rest. And I heard you say shalom, yes, and so that I can find peace too. This is God's will for us. And rest is something that comes to us. The commandments don't say, go and do the Sabbath. The commandments is given in two places, in Exodus and in Deuteronomy. The command in Exodus says to keep the Sabbath. And the command in Deuteronomy says to remember the Sabbath, right? It's a lot different. Keeping something is a lot different than creating it or performing it. Right? We have performative rest in our culture, but what God wants us to do is simply embrace the rest that God is giving us. There are two things to keep in mind, and that's what I want to talk about today. There are two ways that Sabbath comes to us. The first is Sabbath comes to us because Sabbath is holy. Now, what does it mean to make something holy? You, awesome. Awesome. That's a perfect Bible camp answer. 
It's <laughs> a good good answer, right? When you make something holy, or you um, or, or you, uh, it, it, what you're doing is you're setting it apart. It's not like the other things. One of these things is not like the other, right? And so it says in the creation account, God spends six days creating everything from light all the way to human beings. And uh, which, by the way, if you think about cosmic creation, right? Light particles and then human beings are very at the very end is a blip. So may not describe evolution perfectly, but it's the same order of events. But anyway, uh, <laughs> uh, it, it, when you get to that seventh day, God does two things. God blesses the day, and God sanctifies the day. God makes it holy. This is a time that's not going to be like other time. It's going to be a holy time. And here's the thing. We might make certain, we might set apart certain things in our life, right? In my family, we do sanctify dinner time. We try to turn off music unless Noah gets a hold of Alexa. Um, but we turn off music, we turn off the TV unless there's a game on. And... <laughs> Always an exception. Yeah, always an exception. Uh, right, we turn off music, we turn off the TV, and we sit and we eat. Right, that's holy time. We're sanctifying that for our family. But we are not able to sanctify things the way God can. I'm pretty sure God does not listen to the game on the seventh day, but anyway, we don't know. But we are not able to make things holy the way that God is able to make things holy. God makes things holy, and it is a done deal. Now, we might turn things that are not holy and try to treat them like holy. Uh, I certainly cre treat my work as if it's holy, right? You can treat your status as if it's holy, whether it's being an American or being in the middle class or, uh, you know, since I'm already uh, down the rabbit hole sports analogies, right, I support the right team or I am a member of the correct political party, right? We can sanctify or your bank balance or, or your car. There's plenty of things that we can sanctify that aren't sanctified by God. And you know what that mismatch is called? Idolatry, right? The Sabbath itself is holy. And anything that we make holy on top of that cannot compare to the way that God has made the Sabbath holy. And I, and I think this struggle... To make something holy that's not holy, we see that in the second son we hear about in the story of the prodigal son. I don't think for anyone this is a brand new story. Everyone's heard this before. Anyone not heard this story? Okay. In the second story, right, there's one son who, when the other son comes home, he's not there. Where is he? He's in the fields. He's working. This is a guy who works 80 hours a week, right? The son is down. He is now coming back to the house to, um, and he sees this party going on, and he's so upset, right? Because he feels that he's the one who earned the party, right? He's the one who has stayed. He's the one who's worked. He's the one who's kept the farm in the black. He's the one who's made sure all of the things are happening that need to happen to keep the place viable. He's been doing it on half of a budget because his brother brought it away, right? And so he's standing there going, you know, I'm the one you should be throwing this party for. The work that I've done is holy. But what does the father say? 
That's not what's holy. What's holy is that your brother was dead. Now he's back. He's alive. The brother was received. Right. This is Sabbath. Sabbath is when God comes to meet you and to give you rest. It is the most beautiful story that Jesus ever tells. Because the father sees the, the son who went away, took his money, blew his money, right? The son who was worn out, who said, you know what, I'm just going to go home and live like a slave in my father's house because I hope he'll just take me back so I can have a roof over my head, right? That son comes home. The father sees him and runs to go to him like the way no self-respecting uh father would, right? Uh, you know, fathers and rich landowners did not act this way, but he ran out. You know, the president of the United States, by the way, you'll never see the president, like, running out. Maybe, oh, I'm not going to say it. But you never see the president, right, greeting a dignitary, running out to greet a dignitary, right? It's about your status. You stay, people come to you. And the father runs out, and this is Sabbath. He sees his son. He puts his arms around his son and says, welcome home. Come and rest. And by the way, it gives him the signet ring, which is almost like handing over the credit card. Right? It's, it's crazy. It's lavish. And this is what Sabbath is. Come home, have rest. Everything that's mine is yours. That's what the Sabbath is. That's why it's holy. The Sabbath brings life back. Our work drains us. It doesn't give us life. Right? Our struggle to find work drains us, doesn't give us life. Our struggle to be who society thinks we should be or who our friends think we should be drains us. It doesn't give us life. But the Sabbath is God coming to meet us, saying, it is my will for you to have rest, and it will catch up with you one way or another. If you don't believe me, come to my work and see all the people who God has caught up to and said, now, come to me. It is time to rest. You'll have it one way or another. But notice that Sabbath in this story doesn't come just for the one who was worn out and couldn't do it anymore and came home. He, the father also leaves the party to come out for the older son who was angry and who was upset. So no matter who you are, whether you're trying to get there by your work and you just won't leave the fields, Sabbath will come out and get you. And if you're worn out, if you're run down, if you've had enough, if you're ready to give up, if you can't even, the Sabbath will be there to meet you. The second way that the Sabbath meets you is that Sabbath doesn't just come for you, right? It came for the younger one and the older one. The Sabbath comes for you and for your neighbors. Anyone knows um, any very observant Orthodox Jews? You'll notice they don't hail a cab. They don't call a pizza for a pizza. Right? And why do they do that? Because, yeah, you don't make anybody else work on the Sabbath. Because Sabbath is God's will for everyone. And Alyssa, I'm glad you read that, right? It's not only for you. It's for your family. It's for your employees, your workers. It's for um, people that just happen to be <coughs> hanging out in your territory that don't have citizenship status. They get to rest too. And me, those, uh, me all those who are, who are with us without citizenship status finally be given a chance to rest. Amen. All of these people 
are given rest. The animals are given rest, right? This is God's will for all of creation to just rest, to join in enjoying what God has made, to receive from God all the gifts that can be given. This is not just about your need to rest. Creation needs to rest too. As Old Testament scholar Walter Brueggemann says, the Sabbath is given to us so that we see it is not restlessness, but restfulness that is at the center of creation. And a part of realizing that that rest is for everyone is paying attention to what God says in the, in the second part of Deuteronomy, which Alyssa also read. That second part of Deuteronomy, it talks about the law of the land, which was because of the Sabbath reality, every seventh year, all debts were erased. Could you imagine if we did this? Every debt being erased, medical debt, mortgage debt, student loan debt. Could you imagine every seven years, all of that gets erased? Yeah. And this was God's will, that you didn't have a permanent underclass in his chosen nation. That people would be equal. In a part that was left out of the readings this week, it said, There should be nobody in need among you in my chosen land. And I, I never hear the people that talk about this being a Christian nation, I never hear this verse come off their lips for some reason. But it's right in there in Deuteronomy 15, right? The Sabbath isn't just about a day of rest. It means all of the evil and injustice and oppression in the world needs to take a day off because they are about to be fired. So you have to think about what team you're on. So there were a lot of people, it would be the sixth year, right? And somebody came to them for some kind of loan, and what would they say? Oh, no, because you just won't pay that, and then the seventh year I'm out that money. And what does God say if you start playing that game? I will judge you. If you don't give, I will judge you. God says you need to open your hand. Right? You cannot receive from you, – first, you can't give to anybody else unless your hand is open. And you can't receive either. Right? If you've got a closed fist because you're like that older brother hanging on to the – Hanging on to you, whatever your farm pulls on. I'm a city kid. I'm not even going to try. But if you're like that older brother with your hands clenched, trying to earn your own holiness, trying to uh, be something in the sight of your father because you're holding those tools as tight as you can, it's not going to happen. You have to open your hands and receive that gift of rest. Receive that gift of love from God. And then to take what, you get, what you've gotten and share that with others. We will uh, experience this, by the way, uh, and we do on every Sabbath in this congregation that we open our hands. We open our hands before communion to do what? To share the peace, right? And we are actually sharing peace, right? It's, sometimes people think that it's just kind of a social time, and I love the old Dane Cook sketch about how every time that would happen in his church, he'd always look around and go, who am I not shaking their hand today? <laughs> Right? We, it is not simply a social time. What we're doing is we're actually going and we are blessing one another. That's why we're saying peace. We're saying shalom. May you be blessed. We are blessing one another with open hands. Sometimes a hug. If you hug this way, that's really strange. Um, this is Sparta is what, it, what I would say if I saw you hug like that. Uh, it, but then... 
after we're done blessing each other, we keep those hands open so we can go and receive the body and blood of the one who opened his hands to us. Opened them so much and so wide that they put nails through them thinking that maybe if they did that they would stop, but they didn't. And we open our hands to receive his body and his blood as the ultimate gift, as the ultimate Sabbath. That's how Sabbath comes to us. That's how we find rest. Because God embraces us. God gives us peace. And God calls us into that beautiful rest. And I hope, uh, I already gave my speech to you guys. Most of you are here. Some of you are passed out like I am. I hope that you found that rest this summer with your friends at Camp Formation and Leadership Lab. And um, I hope that you keep that flame alive by coming here and finding that Sabbath rest. Amen. Amen.